0: The richer you get, the harder it is to manage your estate. There's lots of moving parts like portfolio diversity, tax mitigation, asset protection, and estate planning. That's why the ultra-wealthy use family offices, and that's where Valerity Wealth comes in for you. Run by a former sovereign wealth fund manager, Valerity Wealth brings institutional-level expertise to the high-paid professional. Let Valerity quarterback your finances. Book your free consultation at ValerityWealth.com. You are listening to The Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with The Wealth Formula Podcast. My voice is still killing me, folks. I don't know what's going on. I actually had a friend of mine who's also an otolaryngologist by training look at my vocal cords and everything looks okay, so hopefully it's just a matter of time. In the meantime, I've got this kind of deep Darth Vader thing going on. So I hope you don't mind. At any rate, I do want to start out by reminding everyone that to go to WealthFormula.com, there's lots of resources there for you, notably the Weekly Wealth Widget, which I think a lot of people are enjoying, which is just my weekly sort of small morsel of financial information just to give you something to increase your financial IQs slowly but surely. So you go to WealthFormula.com. You can also download my book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth. Now that book was an Amazon number one bestseller and now I'm offering it for free. So you could also go to Amazon and pay me if you want, but you can download it at WealthFormula.com or you could do simply text me at 44222 and put Wealth Formula, one word. So again, that's four four two two two. Wealth Formula, one word. Don't let autocorrect mess it up. But if you do that, what happens is you will get a copy of my free book to your email. And then you'll also be on my list overall. Obviously, if you go to WealthFormula.com, there's a of resources there. Now, on to today's topic. So in 1789, Benjamin Franklin wrote, Our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Well, if you've paid attention to any of the emails and posts that I've made in the last couple of weeks, urging you to download a report or watch a webinar from my friend Tom Wheelwright, then you know that statement from good old Ben may only be partially true That is, Tom Wheelwright, who also happens to be Robert Kiyosaki, CPA, has shown how it is quite possible for you legally not to pay any taxes. Now, if you didn't take advantage of that information, then it's your loss because there was a ton of free information there. I know Tom had a product, but that product that he was ultimately selling, I mean, the information in there, folks, I paid like 30 grand for that and it was just you know a few hundred bucks, whatever. It's crazy. But anyway, I can tell you from personal experience that what Tom says and what he talks about is true, folks, that in fact... It's not death and taxes. It's just death that is guaranteed. As of 2017, we know that to be true. And I can tell you this with some confidence because I'm a physician. Of course, you don't need to be a physician to know that. But, you know, I'm just going to hold that physician card to prove my point. And if you think that life expectancy always increases, you're wrong. For the first time since the 1990s, Americans are dying at a faster rate and they are dying younger. Americans are sicker compared to people in other rich countries. And in some states, progress on chronic diseases like diabetes has actually reversed, folks. Now, I have my theories of why this is the case. And I think it might have to do with things like increasing deductibles, etc. cetera. But suffice it to say, those are the facts. Now, what if you could invest in something that was backed by something guaranteed more so than any real estate or other tangible asset, something that was guaranteed in all economies, good and bad. And regardless of the equity markets, or real estate market performance. Well, it's possible to do that. You just have to invest in something that is guaranteed by death. All right, now that might sound a little morbid. And I know, especially for those of you who are not in the health field, it sounds a little morbid. But listen, the richest people in the world have been using a technique for decades, unknown to the rest of the 99.999% of us. It might be the ultimate investment hedge. It's an asset class called life settlements. And when we come back, you will be one of the few people on the planet to learn about this exciting asset class strategy. Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com, accesswealthaviation.com. My guest today is Tim Wright. Now, Tim is the vice president and senior partner at ASR Alternative Investments. I'm excited to have Tim on because ASR specializes in the structuring of life settlement funds. Now, you may have heard me talking about life settlements before. If not, you're in for something pretty exciting. I think this is a real, real exciting asset class And since I heard about this asset class several months ago, I mean, I've spent the last six months doing due diligence and various companies to get involved with in this space. And I found ASR to have a great track record. They have wealth of experience in this space, facilitated over a billion dollars of death benefits. And we'll get into what that means in a minute. So in the meantime, welcome, Tim, and thanks for being on Wealth Formula podcast.
1: Well, thank you, Buck. I appreciate you having me on today.
0: So I want to jump right into this because this is really cool stuff. Now tell for our audience who doesn't know, can you explain briefly what exactly is a life settlement?
1: Right. A life settlement, Buck, is a really simple asset class, although most people have never heard of it. It's simply the sale of an existing life insurance Mm -hmm. policy from one party to another. So say you're 85 years old, You have a life insurance policy you don't need or want or can afford anymore. So instead of lapsing that policy, you're basically selling that to a third party. And that third party now becomes the owner. And when the insured passes away, say, five, six, seven years later, the new owner will basically take on that death benefit moving forward. So and I just want to be clear in our business, and and you gave us a nice prompt there in the 12 years that we've been in business, we have just specialized in the investment side of it. So we're not looking for people to sell their insurance policies because that side of the business is very well established. Actually, we are strictly on the investment side and that's where we've built our niche in our business. So give us a
0: sense for why someone would want to sell their policy. And to be clear, We're talking about here, because a lot of people aren't really familiar necessarily with all the insurance products out there, we're talking about a whole life insurance policy or universal policy that actually has what's called a cash value.
1: That's right. And most people really don't understand this. And this is why it's such an exciting asset class for us, because I love talking about it. I get so excited because when people think of their insurance policy, they Think of it for one purpose, and that's to use it upon someone passing away and helping your family. Well, there's many, many insurance policies out there that were purchased for different purposes, one being estate planning purposes. So let's say you're 60 years old, you have this business, you're concerned about your family's tax situation upon your death. And so because you have this big business, you go out and buy a $1 or a $10 million life insurance policy. Well, then life changes, right? 10 or 15 years later, go go on and you no longer need it because you've sold your business or maybe you've retired and moved on. So you have this burden now. It's an insurance policy that's, say, you know 30000 or $50,000 a year of the payment that you need to make. Well, instead of just lapsing the policy, the life settlement industry, which was really created about 20 years ago, came in and said, well, wait, time out. Let's go ahead and look at that policy because we may want to buy it from you. And now, not only are you not paying 30 dollars or $50,000 a year for the premiums, you're now getting something for that. So this piece of paper that was kind of worthless to you now becomes of value. And that's what's exciting, that we're able to help the insureds who have now a way to get out of that policy. And now we're helping investors who want to invest in that as, at the same time.
0: One of the ways I like to look at this, Tim, because I think when you first hear about this, there is a a certain level of morbidity involved. You know, you're like, oh, wait a sec. I'm waiting for someone to die. But then when I really dug into this, to me, it came down to sort of thinking about it a different way, which was and, and you can tell me if you agree with me, but. You know, effectively, I'm looking at this as somebody who's in their 80s and obviously cannot say they cannot afford a, you know, the premiums on their life insurance policy anymore. They've been paying for 20 years. They've accumulated a certain amount of cash value, say $100,000 of cash value. So they have three choices effectively. Unfortunately, many of them just let them lapse. And for the 20 years of payments or whatever they've made, they get absolutely nothing at all. And who wins in that situation? It's the insurance company. Sure. And then the second option is that if they are with it enough, their family's with it enough or whatever, they may know that they have a cash value and be cognizant enough to go back and say, hey, insurance company, let's call it a day. Give me that $100,000 and we're done. So that's the second option. And in that situation, again, the insurance company wins because they love the fact that they're not going to pay out a death benefit that might be 10 times more than that cash value. And then there's the third option, which we're really talking about here. And this is the way I like to think about it, where the person who comes in says, I could either get $100,000 for this policy from the cash value, or there's another way to do this and sell it off to investors for not 100000 but say Four or $500,000 instead, and that way the investor actually still has enough room there to make a significant gain, and the person who owns a policy is making four or five times more than what they would, and so the only one to lose in that situation is the insurance company, and that's what I like about it. Tell yeah, me if no, I'm wrong. Is that no, sort of the way to look at it?
1: So no, you're spot on there, Buck, and I will tell you this. We don't actually meet the insureds that we buy their policies from. But I will tell you this, we do know that this is a program that every single insured who sells their policy loves because we are giving them an option that just didn't exist before. Right. So when you really break it down, it's a complete win for the insured who's selling. It's a big win for the investors who are investing. And I'll even go a step further the folks that initially hear about this, like you said, I think that's one of the biggest objections. Well, gosh, what about the morbidity? I'm waiting for someone to pass away before I get a return on on this investment. Although that is true, what people need to understand is that if they were in a situation where they were eighty five and they were paying forty or fifty thousand dollars a year for these premiums, and someone was going to give them, say, on a million dollar face amount policy, they were going to receive a two hundred thousand dollars check when maybe they only had $50,000 in cash value in that policy, I haven't met one single person that would turn that down.
0: Yeah. And I'm aware. I mean, so I know that's not your specific area, but I think the interest of trying to lay this out as an asset class, I think that's a really important thing to consider. Now let's talk about the key, you know, from the investment side, you know, what are the key characteristics when you think about a life settlement investment?
1: Well, one of the things that are probably the most attractive is the fact that it's completely uncorrelated to the market. And when you think about the vast majority of investments that we sink our money into, and some are good and some are not so good, they're all tied to an economy or they're all tied to a market. And when that market or economy has an issue, frustratingly enough, our investment is affected by it. With a life settlement investment, it's only affected by an insurance policy. So it has no market bearing or economic bearing whatsoever. So our belief and why we got into this business 12 years ago is that everyone should have a percentage of their portfolio insulated by an asset class that's not affected by the markets or an economy. And that's really probably the number one reason. There's a couple other ones. Probably the biggest beside that, probably 1B, is the fact that this asset class is backed by the biggest insurance companies, the biggest companies in the world, a $17 trillion industry. And when you think about life insurance policies in the last 150 years, you haven't heard of a policy not pay out upon a death. It just doesn't happen. And so when you think about an investment that's backed by these insurance companies, that's exactly what we're investing in. So if we buy a, say, I'm just using Lincoln financial or AXA insurance When we buy one of their policies, we know that it will pay off upon the person passing away. Those two right there, although there's many more that I can go into, are probably the two Mm. biggest reasons that people really look at this asset class and get excited about it.
0: You know, what's interesting, too, is, and Tim, for a variety of reasons, I've gotten interested in insurance products in general, and so I actually got a producer's license. And one of the things that I found fascinating is that there's this idea Out there that in certain circumstances, insurance companies won't pay, for example, you know, suicide or something. But the reality is, after two years of a policy, there's not a whole lot that an insurance company can do. They have to pay. And isn't that right?
1: That's right. Yes. The contestability period is two years in the United States with insurance companies. And so if, you know, basically what that means is the insurance companies have two years to figure out if there's anything wrong or the application was uh, erroneous or there's fraud involved. And so beyond two years, once the person passes away, regardless of the situation, that policy is going to pay off. Now, there are some exclusions that we look for when we buy policies, but for the most part... All bets are off after two years, and the policies that we're buying have been in place far longer than two years to begin with.
0: Right, right, because you're mostly, you know, looking at people who are over eighty years old and that sort of thing, right? So that's correct. Now let's talk a little bit more about the asset class in terms of historical. This it has been legal, I think, for over a hundred years now, isn't it? I mean, this is a Supreme Court case, early nineteen hundreds. Is is that correct? So this isn't something new.
1: No, it's really not. The Grigsby versus Russell case that you're talking about was a Supreme Court case in 1911. So what is that, 106 years or so ago, that really established this. And really, it took about 80 years for an industry or almost 90 years for an industry to really be created from it. I call that the best kept secret by the insurance companies because this could have happened well before mid-1990s, which is really when this uh, kicked in about 20 or so years ago. But yeah, it's been around for a long time. And the reason that most people actually haven't heard about it, Buck, because you'll get people all the time that will say, gosh, it sounds so great. If it's that good, how come I haven't heard of it? And the reason is that most of this industry is relatively small, relatively niche Most of it has really been purchased by large institutions. You have big banks, you have hedge funds, you have insurance companies. In fact, in 2012, AIG represented half of all insurance contracts that were purchased. Half of the life settlements were purchased by AIG. They don't buy their own policies. They're buying other insurance policies to hedge against theirs being purchased. So you had a lot of industry, and one of the reasons that we got into this 12 years ago is we thought, well, wait a minute, here's an industry that only the big boys are really able to play in, and we didn't feel right about that. And we thought, there's got to be a way to bring this asset class to Main Street. Now, we don't work with just anyone. We're working with mid to high net worth accredited investors, as you know, but we felt like those investors needed it the most to help insulate their own portfolio. And that's really the history on why we got into it 12 years ago.
0: You know, one of the big things that we talk about on this show, and actually my listeners and also my private investor accredited investor club have seen is we've brought in a number of not only investment opportunities, but also just ways of mitigating taxes, et cetera, that really there's an entire class of people you know, in this country who are the uber wealthy that have access to these things that us who are maybe in the high paid professionals, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars, et cetera, accredited investors really are qualified to buy, but we just don't know about these things. So that's one of the things that's exciting to me. And when I started looking into this, one of the things that I was struck by is you mentioned institutions, but there's some fairly well-known people involved in this, such as Warren
1: Buffett and Bill Gates. That's right. Especially Warren Buffett, he he knows insurance. He's been involved in insurance for many years. Uh, He actually has a life settlement company called Berkshire Hathaway Life Settlements. So yeah, he knows this industry quite well. Now you won't hear him talk about it a lot. My thinking behind that is that he knows a good thing and he doesn't want everybody and their uncle to get involved in it. But yeah, he's been involved for many, many years.
0: Yeah, and that's reassuring, right? A guy like that's been doing it and doing well. Obviously, there's a lot of things to like about this asset class, but there's no such thing as a investment without any sort of risk at all. So historically, what have been the risks associated with investing in life settlements?
1: Yeah, unlike other asset classes, where if you're talking to an advisor, they'll kind of run away from the risks. I I like to actually bring up the risks early on in a conversation. And so I'm glad you're bringing it up because there's not a whole lot. And the ones that do exist, which they are there, we mitigate in a very special way. The biggest two are longevity and illiquidity. So if we're buying an insurance policy, that's an 85 year old that has a life expectancy of say five years, and these are done by professional medical underwriters and the policy goes six years or seven years, that's a risk. That's the longevity risk. And so what we do to mitigate that longevity risk is we buy a portfolio of policies. If you bought one, I'd still say, you know, it's a great investment. But if you're buying multiple policies and putting them in a portfolio, that's going to mitigate it. Because you're going to have some policies that will mature earlier, naturally, and some will go on time and some will go late. So that's how we mitigate it. The other way where you really need to be cautious in this environment, and there's not a lot of, I'll call us retail type life settlement companies where a mid to high net worth client can invest in, but you want to make sure that the folks involved in that strategy, whether that's the agent that's talking to you about it, whether that's the company (laughs) that's backing it, isn't able to actually touch your money. And we use third-party escrow agents, we actually use two of them, to ensure that everything is done by escrow agreement directives. So that's a really important thing. There's nothing that we can do or you can do to change anything. It is what it is. We also have the way to mitigate premium calls. So just like if you own your own insurance policy, you have premiums every single month or quarter or year. Well, these have premiums due as well. So we have a way of mitigating that premium call exposure by within the portfolio creating a premium reserve. And I won't go into all the details, but I just want your listeners to know that if somebody's saying, well, what about all the premium calls? We not only escrow that in the price of each policy, but we have a way to create a reserve so we mitigate the likelihood of your investors, your clients, actually coming out of pocket. It's possible, but it's not probable based on the way that we've set up the reserve. The other thing that I like to talk about is a defined exit strategy. So typically, when you buy a life settlement policy, you're going to hold on to that policy until the policy matures, the person dies. So if he's 82 and you thought he was going to die at 88, but he's really 95, you're going to hold on to that and hold on to that and keep paying those premiums. What we have designed many years ago was a strategy where we, as the sponsor, can actually sell policies into the open market. So if, say, John Smith, he's 85 when we buy him, and at 90 he's still alive, we can sell that policy, and typically the life expectancy is going to be shorter, so we'll sell it for more, in the open market. So our portfolios will all terminate. Within nine to ten years, some of them won't get that far at all. But at ten years, we'll terminate those, sell those policies, and then pay off those funds to all of the investors at that point in time. So those are just a few risks that we feel we have come up with great ways to mitigate those risks. But those are the risks.
0: Yeah, and I think one key point here is the premium call is really the biggest risk to investors, and you know longevity. And that's something that I looked into a great deal when I was looking at different companies to see who I thought was a good player in this market. How many times have you had a premium call in 12 years?
1: To the clients, none. Okay, We have done a really good job at managing that. And so part of that, in fairness, is making sure that we escrow enough up front. So it's part of the purchase price, right? As you know this, we do escrow and we're pretty conservative about how much we put in there. We want to put enough in there so we're not going back to clients, but we don't want to put too much where it's going to put too much of an impact on the ROI.
0: That's pretty impressive because, again, we're talking about $1 billion of death benefit that we're talking about. So that's a pretty good record. Tell me about this, Tim. A lot of people out there are thinking this is cool. And obviously you can sense the excitement that I've got here, but I want to get people a sense of kind of the nuts and bolts. Tell me the structure. And you know, obviously we don't want to talk about specific fund here. That's not the point, but just so that people can visualize, you know, what a typical fund looks like. How does it work? You know, how do people get paid, et cetera?
1: Sure. Well, it's a pretty simple strategy. And again, this is one of the reasons that we've had the success we've had and, and we like it so much. And and by the way, all the partners here at ASR are very large investors in life settlements ourselves. We've been investing in this for years. I personally have a ton of my money in life settlements. But in terms of this structure, what makes it unique is that what, what happens when somebody, let's say, puts in, I'm just going to use a random number of $100,000. When that money goes into the account their own personal account that money is then available for us to go out and buy policies and we work with I, I didn't i didn't mention this earlier on but i think it's important to mention we work with financial professionals from all around the country and we recruit and we we train and we support these advisors mm-hmm. obviously just like you buck and we work with them in making sure that their clients Are fully educated and informed on this asset class. Once they invest, that money is then available for us to go out and purchase these policies. And you might say, well, where do you find these policies? Well, like I mentioned earlier, it's a very established system. So there are companies called life settlement providers. They are more or less the title company, you could say, when we compare it to real estate. And so... What we do is we go out and we say to multiple life settlement providers, here's our buy box. Here's what we're looking for because we're not looking for just any life insurance policy. We're very specific about what we're looking for. And those providers then go to their resources and brokers and go see if they have policies that fit that buy box. And once they do, they come back to us. We then start the bidding process and we're buying all year Round. There's no time that we're not looking to buy policies. When that policy is identified, we start a negotiation, very similar to a real estate transaction. We then agree on a price at some point, and then we go to close on that policy. That is when the insured gets paid, and then ASR is now purchasing that policy. One of the safeguards that we put in place on behalf of the investors Uh, many years ago is that the policies themselves and the beneficiaries are not asr alternative investments it's actually the fund that is purchasing them which is a separate entity and that is a very strong safeguard in our industry that we're very proud of so let's say three years pass and we have a portfolio of policies everybody understands that it's a four to 10 year payout window. If it happens sooner, great. But if it doesn't, that's kind of the window that we're looking at. And let's say in year three, the Jones policy matures. At that point, everyone has a pro rata share of that Jones policy. All of the funds that are created around the country do. And we notify them at that point. We check our reserve balance and make sure that that reserve is up to speed to, again, mitigate the likelihood of premiums down the road, and we pay out the difference. And I want to give you one example, because one of the things that I'm most excited about that I think everyone is that Invest is the upside potential. We really try to be conservative in the way that we operate our business in every way, including talking about our returns. But one of the things that happens is you get early maturities. And there was a policy that we bought just last year, and it was a 53-month life expectancy. And that everything comes in months, it's not years. 53-month life expectancy. We bought that policy April 20th of 2016. By August 11th, less than four months, that policy had matured. Now, we had estimated at the life expectancy for the return to be right around 10%. Well, this ended up being a 61% net annualized return for all of our investors. So we can't guarantee, obviously, we can't tell you that we'll have a bunch of early maturities, but that is one of the upsides to this, that if a policy matures earlier, the return will be greater than the targeted return that we're shooting for.
0: Well, and certainly in a typical fund, how many policies are there usually?
1: So typically we're going to have six to 10 policies in each fund that we create. Now, one of the things that we do is we don't go out and buy $250,000 or half a million dollar policies. Our buy box is really between 3 and $5 million policies. And you say, well, why is it there? Well, one of the reasons is that when you're looking at this market, especially institutional money, they want to buy the $1 million, the $2 million policy. So there's a lot of competition for that face value. When you're looking at 3 to 5 to even $10 million policies, there's not as much competition. So we can go in and strike at the right price because that's one thing. We would just rather not buy and put our money on the sidelines for a short period of time than to buy in a market where it doesn't make sense. We have time. We're a patient company. So that's basically how that works.
0: So this is how I like to sometimes add my two cents in terms of how to look at something because my listeners are used to me doing that. And here's one of the ways I looked at this. Now, in your typical return profile, again, we're not talking about any specific fund. You're targeting probably with a death benefit for investors about a 65 to 70% return over the life of the fund, and you max that life of the fund out at 10 years. Correct. That's the first thing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you have six, seven, eight policies in there and the average life expectancy is what? Probably about five
1: years. Yes.
0: Okay. So you've got five years. So right away you're looking at this thinking, well, you've got this fund that can go out to 10 years, but the life expectancy of everybody in here is five years. You know, some of them will pass away early. Some of them will pass away on time and some of them will pass away late. Now, an interesting way that I thought about approaching this and how you can maximize your returns is related to what you said. Now, so when people pass away early, what you can do is you can immediately reinvest back into a fund and effectively, you know, capture that and and uh, increase your total return by putting money right back in and create sort of a compounding effect. Is that fair? Do people ap- approach things that, like that?
1: That's exactly how it works, and I will tell you in the policy I just referenced, we actually had 110% of the money come back, and you say, well, what? how's the 10%? Well, people who maybe put their toe in the water early on with whatever dollar amount they did with, they put more money in because they saw the investment work so well, and so they say, well, wait a minute, I've got this money over here, let me put that in as well. So yeah, there's no question that the excitement level when there is an early maturity creates this compounding effect. And, you know, over a 10-year period of time, we say, yes, let's look at a, a, a targeted 6 to 8% conservative return. But if that yield that you're talking about, that 65 to 70% yield happens in year six, well, then we divide that number divided by six, and the, the annual return is obviously much greater than that. But like I said earlier, we're very conservative in our approach in everything we do, including the returns that we discuss.
0: Right. And to be clear, I think those numbers, and that's why I when I look at this, I think it's important. When you hear that six to eight over ten years, it doesn't sound great. But then you're like, wait a second, all these people have, you know, five year life expectancies. So then we gotta start using our heads and trying to put numbers together and trying to figure out what happens when we compound, you know, people passing away early, et cetera. I mean, it's all investing and then, you know, that's where your brains come in handy, right? So when you're buying in an investment, Tim, what exactly are you buying? I mean, say you're investing in a fund.
1: What do you own? So when somebody purchases a life settlement, the investor is actually not buying into the actual policy. What they're buying into is a LLC. They're buying interest into a fund. And that fund owns the policies. So you would actually have units or shares in an actual fund, and that would basically give you a certain percentage of ownership. So like I said earlier, when there's a distribution, when a policy matures, you know exactly how many units you own and how many shares that equates to uh, and what that dollar amount will equate to. So that's basically what you own. And we're going to get the question. I know I will might as well just address it. Most of our money actually comes through IRAs. And whether that's Roth or a traditional, and the reason that that money marries up so well with this is that's money that you want to just see grow. You don't want to put it at risk. You just want to see it grow over time. Well, that's exactly what our life settlement product does. We're the first to admit that if you're looking for a quick turn on your money, this is not the place to be. But if you're looking kind of for a boring, low-risk strategy that you know will return a modest but yet fair return over a longer period of time, life settlements are perfect. So a lot of the money that comes in is IRA money. Well, some people will say, well, gosh, can you own life insurance in your IRA? And you actually can't. You can't own a life insurance policy on yourself In your IRA. I think that's fairly known out there. But what you can do is you can own an LLC within your IRA. And that's exactly how we've structured this to make it airtight and legal. So there's no question of do you own insurance or not? You own an LLC and in that LLC are the life insurance policies.
0: This is a really, really good point and something that I've thought about a lot from the perspective of an IRA. I mean, listen, in this show, we often talk about Assets that cash flow. Now, this is not a cash flow asset. This to me is a tremendous hedge against market forces, against any number of things that your money has to worry about out there in the real world. And an IRA where you're not going to be able to see that cash flow anyway sounds like a great place to pack this away. Now, one question that sort of relates to that is, you know, you don't own these life settlements and So does the IRS consider you as owning life settlements? Do they think of you as owning shares of a fund? And what are the tax implications of that?
1: Well, we have taken a conservative approach, again, to taxation over the years. There was a ruling by the IRS that came out in 2009 that really wasn't specific to investing. It was more, if I have a policy and I sell it, what are the tax implications? And we feel that 2009 ruling was really aggressive because what they basically said is that everything related to life settlements was ordinary income and not long-term capital gains. So when we set up our program, we really had no choice as the sponsor to say, well, when we do our taxes and our K-1s, we're going to treat this as ordinary income. We know that some companies out there will say, well, it's over 12 months and it should be long-term capital gains. Again, we're being conservative and we're treating it as ordinary income because we know that there is a tax ruling. Now, we do know that the IRS is reviewing that tax ruling as we speak. I don't know when that would be changed, if any. But we always have felt like investing in life settlements, because typically maturities happen after 12 months, should be long-term capital gains. But again, due to our conservative nature, we've treated it uh, as ordinary income.
0: You know I think that's a CPA specific question that you can deal with. I mean I think you know this is clearly gray area. And to the extent that you're a real estate investor, um you know uh, the the nice thing is that if it is ordinary income, it, it would be considered at least passive income. And to that degree, you should be able to pass through passive losses of real estate to offset this. But but at any rate that's something for you know the CPAs to deal with specifically. So the next question I have for you, Tim, is what kind of money? I mean, you know, the amount, uh, we talked about IRA money, but, you know, what kinds of investments and who's investing in this stuff? And Give us a sense of that.
1: Well, one of the things I like to make sure people understand is that our investment strategy, the life settlement investment strategy is not competing with your Wall Street money. Now, some people, I know your listeners are completely out of Wall Street and maybe they just have, or they have some investments still there, but there's low risk and there's high risk investments. And I consider the market a high risk investment and I don't think it's terrible all the time, but you know, let's call it what it is. It's a pretty risky place to put your money. When it comes to life settlements, we view that more as a CD money market type risk in that category. So we don't like to be compared to the market. Someone says, well, gosh, I'm making 8 to 10% in the market. I'd say, well, if you're really getting that net, net, net of fees, then maybe you do keep some of it there. What we're talking about is taking a small percentage of your portfolio. Maybe it's 10 20 and 30% of your portfolio and investing it in, in insurance, in insulation to basically insulate the rest of your portfolio. And the reason it's insulation is that it's not correlated to an economy or a market. So I just want to make the distinction that we're really not competing with even real estate for that matter. We're competing with a lower risk profile that isn't exposed to a market or an economy.
0: Yeah. And I think to that extent, you know, when you think about the things in life that are guaranteed, you know, people say death and taxes. Well, we've shown on this show that taxes may not even be necessary. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so that leaves one thing, which is death. And that that's going to happen. I'm a physician. I can tell you we have not figured <laughs> out for somebody who's over 80 years old, we're not going to get there folks in any time soon. So okay. yeah, the other thing is that I want to point out, too that i think that's again a very generous and conservative approach because again if you think about compounding these things returns can be quite attractive so so tim i know you've got a lot of other things going on today and i don't want to keep you anymore but i do want to let people know that you know this is an opportunity you can learn a lot more through investor club we are going to have a webinar for investor club members And Tim will be on that as well. And we'll have an opportunity to really dive into some of these things for the private group. Tim, you know, thank you very much for being on the show today.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Buck.
0: Now, the reason I didn't give you a contact for ASR in that interview is that they don't exactly deal with individual retail investors Well, they do if you're worth a lot of money and you want to buy a $10 million, you you want to do a $10, $20 million investment or something like that. That said, the good news is that I now have a strategic partnership with ASR. And if you are in an investor in Investor Club, that's good news for you. Because I will be doing a webinar on this topic shortly. And you can learn how you can potentially get involved. Now, of course, Investor Club, as a reminder, is limited to accredited investors. And of course, that means you either make $200,000 per year, $300,000 if filing jointly, or you have a net worth of $1 million, excluding your personal residence. Now, if that sounds like you, make sure to sign up for Investor Club at WealthFormula.com. Now, people in investor club folks are always commenting on the incredible quality of content there and that what they're getting for free. And they get really excited about that. And it's not just about deal flow. I mean, there is there's lots of opportunities that go by where we're giving people opportunities to invest in private opportunities. But. There's also lots of education that have nothing to do with deal flow. So even if you don't want to get involved with the investment side, there's lots of things that you're going to learn. I mean, we've had some incredible webinars on an estate planning, asset protection, tax mitigation from some of the most, you know, amazing and well-regarded experts in the world. And really, I mean, it's free folks. So I don't know why you wouldn't sign up if you are an accredited investor. And as an added bonus, when you sign up, You even get to talk to me. (laughs) Of course, maybe you don't want to talk to me. That's okay, too. But generally speaking, that's the next step. Once you sign up for it, you talk to me. And that allows us to have a pre-established relationship over time that can mature into us potentially doing business together. Now, finally, I hope you're getting a lot out of these podcasts, folks. I know there's a lot of very avid listeners out there, and I do thank you because As you know, my primary purpose of this really is to try to take away that veil from the ultra wealthy, from, you know, those of us who are high paid professionals who are, you know, working hard and, you know, but we're not worth maybe a hundred million dollars, but we still make you know, enough money to be accredited investors. And we don't want to be suckers in this market and let the wealth managers just take all of our money and let Wall Street, you know, enjoy all the profits and barely watch our own portfolios grow. That's what the rich do, folks. And I'm telling you, this is my mission, is to take down that veil and try to help you uh, and myself along the way, obviously, because I'm learning. Uh, The more I learn, the more I can, you know, it benefits me, but it benefits you, but that's my mission here. And if you like that mission, there's things you can do. I mean, you can write reviews on iTunes and subscribe to the show. Why would you do that? Well, that helps us go up in rankings and and gets us in front of more people. You can obviously share the show. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter at Buck Joffrey. And you can also friend me on Facebook. It's just Buck Joffrey. Go to the Wealth Formula page on Facebook. You know, get involved in when you see a post from me about a show Share it with your community. I mean, this is what it's all about. We're, you know, we're trying to build a community. So far we've done all this very organically and it's pretty amazing. I mean, we're ending up with, you know, 15, 16, 17,000 downloads uh, per show and it's only been a year. So that's all very exciting. So go please uh, take some action on that. And if you don't get in front of a computer, it's very easy just to get on my list, download my book and you'll be on my list. Go ahead and text 44222. And type Wealth Formula, one word, don't let autocorrect mess you up. And that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. These guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement?